Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo. I'm joined by Jeremy Fisk and Chapin Hemingway, baby. This week, we are going to be discussing the film Blow the Man Down, which is available on Amazon Prime, directed by Bridget Cole and Danielle Crudy. We are then going to move into a somewhat unique top five where we're going to try to stump each other. We're going to earn points. I guess we're going to call it the top five who's that. And we'll explain that when we get there. On a New England aisle in a good seaport town. To me, below the man down. Can you start over? I'm confused. It was confusing. But you had to do it right. Oh no. I lost control. With a brick. You said it was a harpoon. So what are we gonna do now? Should have just called the police. Hello? Priscilla Conley? You're a small skiff, right? Could get a little grody. A body wise up on the rocks. Enid's business is bringing shame to the town. I try to protect these girls, but I can't do everything. What did she mean by that? It used to be real bad around here. Get away from me! If it's not Enid's girls, then it's our own daughters. We wanted something better for you. All right, guys, I've got a lot of things to discuss this week hopefully we can get to all those topics but before we do i just want to point out that this week's episode is sponsored by lacuna for more than 15 years lacuna has been the top choice for anyone wishing to rid themselves of a painful past the process is safe and reliable with a close to 99 percent success rate and you can set up a free consultation with the dr howard mirzwiak by visiting lacuna inc.com it's l-a-c-u-n-a-i-n-c.com all right, so guys, Blow the Man Down premiered at Tribeca last spring. It's written and directed by Bridget, Sav- Bridget Savage Cole and Daniel Crudy. The two of them went to Wesleyan University together. Um, and I kind of want to discuss this movie a little bit in comparison to The Vast of Night. And I will outline a few talking points related to that comparison in a second, but I want to give a little background on our filmmakers here first. Um, as I mentioned... Bridget Savage Cole and Daniel Crudy, they met in college. Uh, Bridget Cole has um, done a little bit of work on one feature film and a lot of shorts and some episodic TV. She directed and co-wrote with Crudy a short film called Oiwana while participating in AFI's Director's Workshop for Women, which was in 2011. Uh, She co-directed a film called The Distance Between the Apple and the Tree in 2009. If you look at that film on IMDb, it doesn't look like that had any real distribution. It's got 16 user votes and a 9.1 out of 10. No meta score usually indicates that her friends voted and one one bad friend (laughs) didn't like it. Um, Other than that, she's done a lot of... Uh, shorts and some TV series that she's she's worked on. Danielle Crudy has a little bit more notable work on her resume. She worked as an assistant to Matthew Labatique. Uh, we know him as the director of photography of movies like Black Swan. Um, he was a Fixie nominee for his work on A Star is Born. He's worked with Spike Lee, a few more Aronofsky movies. Uh, she's also worked as a reader for Mer- Megan Ellison at Annapurna. 
so both of these are some good uh, experience. And these facts that I point out, I kind of want to use for a conversation I want to have later if we have time. Uh, but the reason I bring them up is that for all intents and purposes, like Andrew Patterson on The Vast of Night, we're talking about a movie made by first-time filmmakers, first-time directors. And I found it interesting watching this movie that because for all the things that we either criticized or praised with The Vast of Night, I felt like Blow the Man Down was the opposite. Uh, where the Vast of Night didn't really have a lot of story. This movie had a lot. Uh, there was a lot of very obvious and technical camera work done in The Vast of Night. And here I noticed sort of a conspicuous absence of that. And uh, finally, where... I think both of these movies sort of hinged in many ways on the performance of two young actors. So in lieu of just a straight up question, I kind of want to turn these comparisons over to you guys and hear what you guys think about that. And that'll kind of lead us into our, our review of the movie. Do you, do you think, do you agree with me that there's sort of like a, uh, an opposite version in many ways here to the vast night and what was successful versus vast night and what wasn't definitely. I definitely agree with you. Okay. Jeremy. Um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, I think I think you bring up a lot of good comparisons, but I think in more of a macro sense, the biggest takeaway from both of those is the first time small budget mm-hmm. filmmaking. Like yeah. no matter whether you tie those other threads together or not, that's pretty obvious that both of these are small budgets and first-time filmmakers and with varying degrees of success on, on both of them. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you're, you're talking about the dichotomy, though, Lee, right? Like, I mean, I think um, with Fast of Night, like we talked about, that was a film directed by a guy who, you know, our kind of summary, and, and I think this sounds worse than it really is, is that it was a a movie showcasing his skills as a director, uh, his visual skills mostly, but also some sort of, you know, working with actors, et cetera. Um, but uh, a film without much of a story, this film has a very detailed story. Um, one that they wrote together, these th- these two women. And uh, they're fairly focused on that. And with the exception of a few flourishes, uh, most notably being the kind of, interludes between acts of the fishermen singing, you know, sea shanty hymns, uh, on the coasts. Uh, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot that's unique directorially about blow the man down. I think it's fairly cut and dry. It says it's a black comedy. I I don't know that it was at all funny. Yeah. I didn't find that, find that funny at all, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that you know, the well, well, blow the man down is about sort of the noir aspect of it. It's about the sort of suspense thriller that it attempts to be. Um, so, because of that, the story has to be forefront in this movie. Now, we can argue whether or not that story worked, and whether or not this sort of dark thriller uh gave us what it was sort of promising in the trailer um but i think the reason that that this you know 
story aspect is more detailed is only because it sort of has to be by nature of what it is yeah no i i sure but it's still i think i mean i think the writing is better and if you want to really compare i think the writing and the dialogue and the acting is all better in vast of night it should be better in this movie but i think it's all better in vast of night so the only reason we're talking about this as a detailed story is because it it hinges on uh this, like I said, this sort of suspense thriller noir. That's what it's trying to be. Yeah, and you guys are both kind of you're you're on to exactly what my point is in terms of this movie sort of being the opposite of a lot of what we saw in the Vast of Night. And I'll give you another example of of where I sort of thought of this. There's a scene in the movie where uh, th- the the three older women among the town. They're played by June Squibb, um, Marceline Hugo, uh, and Annette O'Toole. Um, they're talking to one of the prostitutes in the film. We'll get more into the story as we go through. They're talking to one of the prostitutes about what happened to another one, and they're explaining to her what they know, that that maybe that this wasn't actually an accident, that it wasn't a drowning. And during that, as that, that uh, dialogue is unfolding, the camera starts to push in on the prostitute. And it's a pretty standard shot. It's a shot you see a lot when information is being revealed and you don't want to show the people talking about it, you want to emphasize the reaction. And so I was watching, I started seeing that camera push in and I was like, okay, this is what you're supposed to do here. I'm a hundred percent okay with this. And then it cuts away. It cuts back to the women telling the story. And it was immediately noticeable as the wrong choice. It took all the momentum and intensity away from the scene. And where in vast of night, a lot of those camera decisions were done correctly. Even if that's all that it was doing, the camera decision was done correctly, and it proved that Andrew Patterson had a knack for that. Where watching this, I was watch- I-, I was thinking, they're making a lot of mistakes like this. They're losing an opportunity to emphasize the uh, intensity of the scene or the stakes or whatever it may be. And that was just an that was an example that was very noticeable to me, and it proved sort of that opposite success of what Vast of Night may have had. And Jeremy, you brought up points about the story. This totally should have, the story and the dialogue should have been better in this because the story is so pivotal. But yeah, I don't think I mean, it was. And we have vasting, Vast of Night, uh, we have a vast <laughs> difference of opinion on whether or not we should have uh, watched this movie this week. Um, and Chapin can get into why he didn't. But I personally love these if they're done correctly, these sort of small town, like tiny noir thrillers, so these dark, Jer- yeah. Jeremy, you watched the trailer. What were you expecting from that? I didn't actually watch the trailer, so I'm- I the trailers the trailers good. I was expecting some sort of knockoff Coen Brothers, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dark murder, not murder mystery, but dark, you know, murder. Not comedy, but dark comedy. I was expecting yeah. that. There's there's a couple things I read that about, and I don't know if they're reviews or just comments written by the filmmakers' families that call this movie Cohen-esque. And honestly, the Cohen should sue those people to have that removed. But uh, but what, I just, like, it's, what it's about it good is Cohen? What about I, it I mean, is you, the story is so like let's break the story down a little bit because it is 
a lot laughable. of story. It's a lot of story, and it's super convoluted. So you have these two main characters. They're sisters. Uh, their names are uh, Priscilla, Priscilla, and Mary Beth Connolly, played by Morgan Saylor and Sophie Lowe. And Mary Beth is sort of the black sheep, wants to get out of this town. Their mother has just died like yesterday, I think, or something in this at the it opening of at this her movie. Fe- or her yeah. wake. You know they they run a they run a uh, like a a fish shop and in you know northern Maine the coast of Maine. And picture and, this is a small small town. I mean, yeah, small town, small small, town. Po- small port on the coast of Maine. Um, it was filmed in. I looked this up and now I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Way up north of Maine, Harps, like south Harpswell. Harpswell. It's south of like Acadia National Park, but north of Portland. Who cares? Um, Anyway, so these two girls, uh, they're sisters, and um, Mary Beth ends up having an encounter with this older guy at a bar. She's flirts with him a little bit, but then it ends up going wrong, and quickly. Uh, very quickly, he tries to rape her, and she murders him. Now, quick side well, note: we don't on, know. Well, right. Anyway, so now now it seems like the story is about how these two sisters can can cover this up. Priscilla, the sister, comes and helps her uh, get rid of the body. And this, and there's this quick side note, and it's it's just something I have a hard time with movies. There's slight spoiler alert here. There's a scene where they're trying to dispose of this body, and they're trying to fit it into, like, a big Yeti cooler so they can dump it in the ocean. And it doesn't fit, so they realize they need to cut it up. And they go to do that. Not and the they, cooler, the body. They need to cut the body up. And they go to do that, and they cut away to the next scene. And I have a hard time with that. If you want us as an audience to relate to what these characters are going through, you, we need to see the trauma that they go through. We need to see that scene of her being yeah, forced to cut this for guy's a arm off. That Especially they, with a, a rather that thin, decision. Right. with a rather thin fillet fishing knife. Like, a, yeah, exactly. never getting through the bone with that. Which is so, which then becomes like pivotal in the plot. Exactly. So now we move right. on to the sec- well, the secondary aspect of the plot, which is this brothel that is run by Margot Martindale, who plays uh, Enid Devlin, and that it turns out was started uh, by by her character along with the sister's mother and the other la- older ladies in the town to avoid young girls having to suffer the same fate that they did by all these guys coming into port looking to get laid and doing it violently so they start a brothel so that there's a place for them to go and now it's not so much just about the covering up of this murder but whether or not this brothel should still function and whether there's whether it's legitimate and there's just so much plot and so much story overlapping and i had no idea what the main story was i didn't i wasn't sure what i was supposed to be following I'm well, so confused be, by it all. It, I forget why I started telling the plot of the story. Where were we? You just I don't know. You just decided to do it. The thing is, is it's an interesting idea. And when you recount the plot, I think people will think one thing in their head about what this film materialized oh, this is to why be. It's Cohen-esque. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and it's got some deeper themes, but you wouldn't know it if you saw it. You know, like the. the Look, it's it's just it tries to be bigger than it is. Is I think the ultimate thing. The town, the town, the doesn't fit the story. The brothel doesn't fit the story. The the people don't fit the story. Nothing fits this sort of 
it's like crime drama that's in the background of this town that's so small that has two cops that somehow if there's a murder they're they're the they fish out the bodies and they're the detectives and they never call the state police or anyone else gets involved and then we're supposed to believe there's a brothel in this town and yeah, this well, town somehow can sustain a brothel i saw like six people and this it's whole time a, the, the, and that there's murder going on and disappearing bodies and that these two girls who are just very quiet and timid and honestly I don't know if they were just played horribly or if that's how they were written or a little bit of both, but I didn't believe them for a second even being in this story. And then the concept of these old ladies that sort of control the town, it's an interesting idea, but what are they controlling? Like, what are they... It's so... What's there to control? And, like... They need. I know it's a small budget, but they needed. They needed to figure out ways to make this bigger, to make this more believable. Like when they fished the body out out of the water, put two state trooper cop cars in the background, show that this has some something to it. Yeah, you can't just, you know. And then, <clears throat> and then they commit all these crimes, and they're very, very bad at crime. And and all this. All this could be forgiven for me if it had humor to it. If all this had some sort of either dark or overt humor that went, al- went along or, with it as, see, or, as bad cr- criminals or as bad writing or whatever. But none of that was there. It took itself way too seriously. It started out with this accidental murder that you've seen a million times on, with no irony at all in it. There's got to be some irony to it. It can't just be like he she thinks he's going to attack him and then she accidentally murders him and they cut up the body well, the, and get rid of him. But the thing is it. she doesn't really accidentally murder How many him. She runs at him with like a harpoon. That? I I agree with you except that I also think that it could have just worked if it had gone the complete opposite direction. It does take itself too seriously, but it never gets that dark. Are you ever frightened by these people like do any of these people seem dangerous and lee you had this you explained the plot like you've got this idea that there's this idea that is the town these three women or i guess it's five women once you count everyone involved uh the mother of the two leads and the woman who and martin or what's her name martin margo martindale margo martindale who runs the brothel currently like they created this brothel that's the central part of this convoluted plot uh they created it to sort of i don't know like is the implication that to sort of lower their risk of being raped or or yeah, i mean like I mean, this sort of the, I, I the guess, skeezy you know, people in the town but my point is is that that never be, that's never that never has any emotional weight in this movie. And, and I don't even think they try to do it. It's not that they try and fail. Like they don't try to put any kind of, uh, you know, like emotional tenor behind that. It's just like, well, we made this for this reason. And, and it, I, it's like, where, what do they want us to think with this movie? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Everyone, every, all of the characters are so thinly drawn. And then on top of that, you're, this is where I brought up this point about, the comparison to Vasta Knight, our two leads, the two Connolly sisters, are not good actors. Neither one of them are convincing at all. They're very and, bad. 
And the two actors in Vast of Night, Chapin, I know you didn't agree, agree entirely, but they were really good. And the movie hinges on that, and they're just not convincing. I mean, the three older women, the three, I, I called them the three Karens when I was watching it. Like, <laughs> they, they, I, Kathy Geis, who's played by, by Marceline Hugo, it's so hard to take her seriously, unfortunately, which is not her fault. I actually thought she did a pretty decent job of playing kind of a, busybody yeah but as a trio the three of them because they there was they there was no place in the world for where did they come from what was like who were they in the town like there's nothing like, to drawn me, there and then margo martindale was, the same thing she's supposed to be evil but i was never scared of her she just seemed like an old yeah. sad drunk well, she was, and I think that, like, there's that scene towards the end where she's like, you girls don't know how lucky you have it. That's supposed to, like, be that linchpin or that, that, that and weight I saw that where harkens that was back coming to from. the past. Yeah. But it doesn't work. And as far as the other three women, <clears throat> excuse me, I that's the concept that, that I like in this movie, the concept. And I think that's where this screenplay probably started it probably started with this idea of these three older women or these older women that run this small town in maine um in a sort of uh, almost uh mafioso way that's interesting if you can if you can pull it off i guess is that that what happened i don't know no i don't think it works but or, or as far as this i mean I think I that's really, an interesting I mean, concept for a screenplay. That part, and the cops too are also like like one of the, one of the two cops is just a patron of the brothel, and the other one is this young idealist. Like, how many times yeah, have think we seen about, that? Think about this also. Like, there's two cops, and there's literally dead bodies and people disappearing. And okay. There's no involvement other than these two guys that seem to not have the experience to do this. And and speaking of, of convoluted plot, spoiler alert, if anybody is going to watch this fucking movie. So what sets off a, another whole set of circumstances in this movie is is when they uncover one of the... One of the uh, workers from the one of the prostitutes from the brothel they un, they find her body in in the ocean and they pull her up and it turns out she was all she was shot before she was put thrown in the water and there's all this mystery uh surrounding that and one of the other prostitutes who was best friends has an old voicemail from her that that tells her the you know the combination of a safe and like they they were best all here's where i'm going who sh- who killed that prostitute? Did we ever find that out? It was the guy at the beginning. Okay, I don't know who that was. That is a, <laughs> I, the, the guy, guy that the the, got killed, killed at the beginning. He so he killed yeah the guy at the beginning. For, they for, and but did Margot Martindale's for, character tell her to tell her to do it? I think so. I think that was the implication. Yeah. Okay. So like, it, the, this is my point. Like, why? Why? Why did Margot Martindale need to be evil? Like, if I guess then that whole plot they, doesn't exist. Like, I I don't like I just don't know where they were trying to go. Like, what I get the whole idea that behind. Character, I get the idea behind that, trying to introduce this. This we made this 
seemingly very small and safe town safe for you because of the sacrifices that we made. That's what these older women are trying to say. But for what? They they clearly didn't make it safer because the people that work for them still try to rape them. Like it's just a, and you so none of it makes sense. Now if you look at it like to try to tie all the plot points together, it doesn't make any sense. I can't believe I no. I can't believe Chapin made us watch this. Shut up. I know Chapin. What were you thinking? <laughs> this was my this was not I did not want to watch this. Well, um Okay, do you guys have any other thoughts here? Yeah, watch um, In the Bedroom if you are looking for a thriller set in a small Um, town in Maine. I'm glad you brought In the Bedroom up because uh, I wanted to ask you guys this. But that's a movie that was made for nothing. I mean, there's no no excuse. Well, I want to ask you guys. I don't actually know if you guys have seen Winter's Bone, have you? Yeah. Yes, I have. Have you both seen it? Okay, so I, I was reminded of Winter's Bone a lot watching this movie. Now, as overrated as I think Winter's Bone is, it's much, much better than this movie. But there's a lot of similarities in the sense that it's this very small town where you have this, like, these, like, mafioso-like women, as Jeremy put it, that sort of run things and everything has to be kept a secret. And if you try to expose anything, then you're a threat. And there's a lot of similarities. But just in the idea that Winner's Bone kept things very simple. It's about Jennifer Lawrence's character trying to find out what happened to her father. That's it. That's the only part of the plot that you have to follow. And the acting is good. Yeah, I think that's and a really... here, it's the opposite. That's a really good point, Lee, because I think what you're... you're, you're maybe you're hitting at it accidentally, but there that's like an emotional thread to the film. You know, she wants to figure out what happened to her father. She's got stakes in determining that right there's something else with her as well in that film as if i recall it's, like, well they like can lose their house or something yeah, yeah. Or something. um if if it proves that her father is dead then yeah then they can keep and so house, you've yeah. got this interesting idea of the brothel which is disconnected from the two main characters in our film like that has nothing to do with them really i mean they get involved in it kind of but um yeah because martindale finds the knife that they that yeah. they had by and, accident when the person looking for it couldn't find it. But like they're not really dealing with the death like the death of their mother is sort of insignificant. The you know the, there is the risk of being discovered with this dead body which begs the question why not go to the cops in the first place? Like I mean they, but then they that th- that focus sort of shifts to the Margot Martindale pr- issue. Like you know it was just you, your your plot can be all over the place, I guess, but you know, like, where is your emotional thread here? And that was just just lost, you know. And and um, you just never cared. You never cared what happened to any of these characters. No, this was a bad movie. Yeah, and and then on top of that, like, no, there was no emotional sort of core to it, but there was also no interesting characters. Like if you I, look at, like I, Fargo or something like that, even the bad like everybody's so in all those characters are so well developed yeah, and interesting that's a great and point. like to, yeah so, yeah to call this but, movie Cohen esque is a fucking crime. Like <laughs> I love it when you read the reviews. You're always so more, you're more mad about the reviews than you are about the movie. I don't even think that was a review. I don't know where I saw. It. I think it was just like a like no, a, it was it's in a Cohen esque tale. The, it was in oh, the trailer. That's where yeah. I saw it. Yeah. So somebody yeah. wrote that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a fail. It's a fail on pretty much every level for this movie, unfortunately. And um, I guess we have to listen to Chapin next time he doesn't want to watch a movie.
Well, in the and like this has a seventy-two on Metacritic, which can, oh, you know, God. that can tell you a number of different things. That could be like a few hundreds and a few thirties. But like if you go through it, it's like generally all favorable reviews. There's like no. I mean, there's a sixty. Like I, that's the lowest I'm seeing here, and that's still. I mean, like we've watched worse movies than ones with sixties. I don't. Uh, yeah, there's nothing, nothing lower than a sixty, which is ridiculous. Um, all right, there's two other conversations I want to have if we have time, but this one is I, I particularly want to get to because we've never really had it before. I think this is as good a time as ever, and it's Boston accents. Or in, in this movies. case, New England accents. New England accents, Boston accents, whatever you want to call it. Now, just to give everybody who's who's listening a little background, uh, Jeremy and I are both from Massachusetts. We were born and raised in central Massachusetts. Uh, we still live in Massachusetts, but neither one of us have a Boston accent, as you know from listening to the podcast. I think I, I had a little bit of a one when I was younger. I kind of lost it. My parents still have a little bit of one, but definitely nothing like your dad's you, got a, your parents both have pretty significant accents as i recall uh i mean they they drop their r's a little bit but they don't have anything Go like what fuck the, yourself kid what the stereotypical no accent, accent is and i want to have this conversation on a number of different fronts we can talk about like what a good boston accent is and what isn't i don't know how interesting that is for people maybe what movies do it well but like i, I just have this theory that a, a, a boss a bad boston accent is a microcosm of or or, or, better, or as an example of how something small can ruin a performance. Sure. Margot Mar- Margo Martindale is a great actress. I love her. I think she's one of the best character actually, actors out there. It was there. like the one thing I liked about this movie. Oh my God, she's so bad. And it's because her accent is fucking all over the place. I have no idea what she's doing with it. And it becomes so distracting and unconvincing well, that is, it ruins the performance. This and, is my question here. Like, what do, 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 Does she show up on set being like, Listen, ladies, I've been working on this accent for six weeks. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is can't you just tell her like, you know, Margo, let's let's not do it's that. not working. Yeah. Well, this is the point, And this is why I brought up that me and Jeremy don't have a Boston accent is that not everyone from New England has one. So you're better off not doing it. I actually think a bad Boston accent. And I think that may this may be true more than any other accent. It's definitely true, more true than for New York accents, but it, it can have the opposite effect in what is intended. You, you try to use this accent to, to bring authenticity to your character and to the movie, and I think it does the opposite if it's bad. Mm. And this movie is a perfect example of it, and I don't know why it has to happen so often, and I was trying to think of bad Boston accents that was still a good performance, and I could only think of one. And it's Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. And what about Nicholson in uh, Departed? Oh yeah, he's bad. He's but bad, it but is, it's a good movie. Is Nicholson good in that movie? I think he yeah. I think he's yeah, Robin he Williams is great in Goodwill Hunting. His accent is terrible. Nicholson, I think you could argue I yeah, I guess that's another good example. Anyway, I just want to have a conversation about that. Like, does does is this well, an issue for you? Like I, I, I think it's interesting and on a sort of like like Jeremy was saying earlier on a macro scale, like the little the things that go beyond simply being in a scene and emoting that an actor has to do accents, physicality, uh, like, you know, I mean, we talk about Tom Cruise all the time doing his own stunts, stuff like that. But also, you know, um, 
you know, learning their, like the, 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 the Daniel Day Lewis thing, like, you know, learning to be a fashion designer so he can be yeah. in Phantom Thread and, and, and stuff like, like the things that you, that aren't required to be a great actor, but like people, but then you have people like Meryl Streep who's, who are sort of famously very good at things like that. And that like sort of adds to the myth of the, of the complete actor, but there's plenty of people. I mean, I don't know. Actually, maybe that's not true. Maybe every great actor is good with accents. I don't know. I mean, like, can you guys name? I mean, Nicholson is a great actor, but he's sort of a different breed than a Meryl Streep or a Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, I, it's just it's t- like that's I mean, like, it's, it's the, the kind departed. of it's the work, right? It's like, did you put in the work? And I bet Nicholson this is was like, thing, is I it- got to get to the Laker game. So I'm not going to work with that accent <laughs> right. coach, you know, and I got, I got eight hours. On I got set this today. and like, and I really, honestly, I, I, I might have two more movies after this and I'm just going to call it. But. I mean, Leo's accent in that movie isn't great, especially see, when I you think, compare it to Damon's like Damon's I think is Leo's fantastic. is good, but see Damon, there is something that da- Damon and Affleck and Wahlberg understand about a Boston accent. Right. Cause and they grew up there. They spent time there. There is a very, like, there is a non, like something indescribable about a Boston accent that it just is what it is. Like, it's not just about dropping your R's. Like there's a, there's, there's words where you actually have to add an R like idea is a, is a way you pronounce a word in Boston. Like, and it's not, and like putting eyes where E's are like yesterday and like thing like and popcorn, like all these things that I get called out for that I still have that aren't stereotypical Boston accent notes are important. It's not just about dropping your R's. And like, I watched this, there was one scene with Martindale in this movie where it was so painful, painfully obvious how hard she was trying to hit that note on the accent that it just totally took away any emotion from the rest of the rest of the line of dialogue. And it shouldn't be like that. This character doesn't need to have it. Everyone in rural Maine does not have a Boston accent. Everyone in Boston doesn't have a Boston accent. It just doesn't matter. And I don't know why these people... Uh, Bridget Bridget Cole is from Beverly, which is right over the bridge from where me and Jeremy live. Like, she understands that not everybody in this, this region speaks like this. She could have said, it's not working. You don't have it. Let's not do it. And maybe Martindale is intimidating for Bridget Cole, and she can't do that. And maybe that's part of the problem. But Scorsese couldn't do it for Nicholson either. So, well, my two cents on uh, Boston accents is I'm actually it's weirdly the one accent I, I am so kind of over people complaining about um, because <laughs> I, I feel <laughs> I feel like. It just sort of get. I don't know why, and people just sort of, uh, you know, target in on this accent in particular. But they just, first of all, it, they don't like it. I think they don't like it in general. So that, um, so the people who don't like it go, uh, that's a bad accent, whether it's good or not. And then the people from Boston never want it to be right, no matter what. They go, ah, oh, that wasn't, like you know, late, that wasn't a good accent. There. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's true, Jeremy. I just think a lot of times it's just not right. There are very few examples of good I agree. Boston I, accents. I agree, but it, I've I've sort of gotten to the point where I don't really let it take me out of a movie because I don't care that much. Um, the only because the only actor how not many from times... Boston that has done it well that I can come up with off the top of my head is Jeremy Renner in the town. He's the yeah, only and one know, that and you got know, it right. He like, but isn't he, from there. What's really, but he and you saying he didn't do the accent? 
No, Renner did. Saying he did it well. And he did it great. And he's uh, not... He's the, I don't know about that. I just think he like... Oh, uh, he nailed it. No, I don't think so. I don't think he did. I think he just nailed that type and that character and you just know that character and his, his performance is so good. But his accent is not good in that. It is. And that's the thing, Chapin, no, is that his character is a little bit of what the the a little bit of what the accent is like there's a there's like an attitude to it that you have to inflect like i don't know how else to describe it like and that's why it works and like it's just it's not just about the pronunciation of the words it's just sort of like the the cadence and everything and like that's where it's why it's not done well i would defy you to go back and watch that i don't i do not i've seen it so way more times than i'd like to admit that i've seen the town it is i think overrated overrated movie underrated performance but um uh, there's 100 percent true just uh just to give if anybody wants to check out there's this guy uh who does these videos on Wired uh, that are on YouTube where he breaks down accents. You know, have you guys seen those magazines? They do that. They have like an expert break something down and he breaks down accents in movies. It's really, really interesting. But you see like how much study it takes to do these things right. And it's really interesting to see him like break down what is right and what is wrong. And, um, you know, some really great actors have failed and it's really interesting. So I, I, I wonder if it just like, it just takes a lot of study. I mean, I, I think there's obviously like an ear, you've got to have an ear for it, but also just like really putting in the work, you know, and, and, and is it important to you? Yeah. 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 Well, so speaking of asinine sounds coming out of the mouth of someone from Boston, <laughs> um, Ty Burr, our local Boston Globe yeah, critic, huge, big uh, reviews on this. The movie's pretty great. Not quite Fargo with lobsters, <laughs> but close enough. Oh my god! So there's another. There's another. Um, you gotta, you gotta, say, you gotta, you say, gotta say that with a Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, you gotta movie's say. pretty great. Not quite Fargo, but the lobsters make it close enough. All right. <laughs> but I love say, the lobsters. You gotta say Thai burr like a you Thai bar. You gotta swallow, swallow that bar like Bell Bar. Um. All right. So. Quickly moving on, this is just a quick discussion I wanted to have because I, I just thought, I, the reason I kind of outlined um, Bridget Cole and Daniel Crudy's resume is because it sounded, when I was looking through it, it sounded a lot like ours, guys. And we all work in different capacities now as adults. But, you know, whether it was a production assistant, uh, a feature-length movie that nobody saw, uh, an intern... This is all the type of work that we did. This is the type of work that we were taught in film school that you needed to get in order to make it to the next step. And I'm and interested. They proved you can. And I'm interested in how that process applies today in the streaming age. Because look, this movie has been seen and reviewed by a number of reputable critics. It's on Amazon Prime. A lot of people are seeing it. It's not just on Amazon Prime, but it's being it's being advertised on Amazon Prime. It's not just one like one of those lost Netflix movies. And uh, these two women kind of went through a similar process that we did. Yet here we are. I sell wine. Jeremy's unemployed. Chapin, you make commercials. Yeah. What, right. What's changed? <laughs> Jeremy's only unemployed because of COVID. He actually has <laughs> arguably better career than these two women. But... Um. What? I mean, they stuck with it, maybe. Um, I don't know. 
Uh, didn't you say she, they uh, went through the IFC sort of route? That well, they had the, they worked on they were in a um, uh, a program for AFI. AFI, which yeah, certainly helps um, with some some recognition. Look, I I, uh, uh, I mean, I had a very valuable, but what I would describe as unique, uh, sort of first job in the film industry. In that I um, got to be uh, an office PA, or I was hired to be an office PA on on two independent movies that shot back to back, that I would guess had a bigger budget than this movie, and I I because I was in the office like I got to know I was on like six weeks before they started shooting or more than that maybe, and I got to know the producers really well and um you know, they liked me, et cetera. But, and so I kind of like learned how to put together a movie from these people, you know, like call sheets and, you know, script drafts and all the little minutia that go into making a movie and to making it feel professional. And I think, uh, Jeremy worked on, uh, our first feature that we made. Um, and it was a kind of ragtag production despite having, you know, a little bit of money to make it, but it was still a little bit of a, you know, kind of felt like a bunch of friends working on a movie. And then we went back and we made another movie after having had this experience. And I kind of imparted all this information and how to do it to the people I worked with. And then, you know, we had a much, much, much more professional set. And I think experience for everybody who worked on it and had real people work on it. Um, and you know that that's all to be said like honestly and i'm not trying to like talk down the movie but like that that is not a reflection of quality i mean it doesn't didn't make me a better director or a better writer i mean maybe there were some things that i learned but i didn't spend much time on set i just learned and then basically passed on to tyson for him to kind of take the ball and run with how to produce a movie and i think that there's a lot of great information in that and i think um you know there's a lot to be learned like being a pa I was thinking about this, like uh, my friend and I have these arguments about the movie industry. And I think for the most part and Jeremy, please feel free to step in. Cause you know a lot better than I do, but um, the, the movie industry is actually kind of a good one, right? Like people get paid fairly for the most part. And you know, there's some shitty hours and people are shitty, but like in terms of pay and you know, the, the influence of unions, it's a pretty like, um, well, you'd have to, you have to be in one of those positions and a lot of people who want to do the creative exactly. stuff do, don't get to be put in one of those positions unless you want to be a grip or an electric. And that's uh, what I mean. Like being person. a PA or being to... someone is, is, is you are at the bottom of the barrel and like, it is an awful and position those... to be in. Like you're, you're, you're working long hours. But those and are the people poorly. that, those are the people that want to make movies too. Ironically, those are usually the people mm-hmm. that it's not. The, the if you get into the camera union, that's your career because that's tough to do. But if you're a PA on a movie, it's because you're interested in the medium. You want to make stuff in the medium. It's so true. Um, and which is so annoying. Which is why I work in wine now. By the way, <laughs> it is annoying. And you know what's funny is when we made our our second feature, and you know we had this premiere and it played in Portland for a week. I was expecting like, you know, the gaffer, the grip and all these guys to show up because I thought like, you know, this is one of the first things they've worked on that actually, you know, they've actually seen. Like we put it out six, eight or nine months after we had filmed it and no, 
none of those guys showed up because you know they this is a job to them they may enjoy it they may have passion for it i think like even the camera guys like are so passionate and intense about those things but ultimately they're not really interested in movies in the sense that like uh, you know, they care about what the movie was like when they when they finished working on it because that was one right. job they worked on for 16 days, you know, 10 months ago. The finished product isn't as important to them as the onset decisions exactly. that they have to make because there's, there's their creative outlet. It's not right. the final product of that movie because they love movies. Um, and to add to your point, Chapin, like I'm interested now what they do moving forward from that because if you take all those pieces that you just talked about as learning experiences and stuff that however they were able to use those experiences to make this movie now they've made it and hopefully they can learn from it and step up to the next thing that they make i I mean i don't wish got a bunch of good reviews for a bad movie well this is what i think is interesting maybe that will blind them a little bit so but I want to wait. Sorry, can I ask one more thing, Lee? Before you, yeah. That? Here's a question I have for the two of you. Com- I love the comparison of Vassanite, Lee. Do you guys think? You know, we I talked about Vassanite being a calling card movie. Now that guy proved himself in a weird way, but this movie he's working with more actors. He's working with more serious actors. Do you guys think that they proved more with this film? I mean, it's probably. So- a worse movie or maybe at least for me, maybe on the same level, but did they, did they demonstrate more skill, more, this is, uh, this more, is more exactly, variety of skill? This is exactly what I was going to say. Oh, good. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I will, I will be surprised if we ever hear from these two women again. Wow. I will not be surprised if we see Andrew Patterson again. Feedback in fact, at I get your film fix podcast. The industry is so sexist. No, it has she, nothing she to lives, do with that. She lives across the bridge from us, Lee. We might actually hear yeah. from her. <laughs> it, has nothing to, it has nothing to do with that. There, there is just, there is really is some in this. In, I guess I just think there. I guess there's just something to that to be said about. And if he had the foresight, great. If not, doesn't matter. There's something to be said for what Andrew Patterson did in Vastonite for making a name for himself. There is some there is something that caught your eye and is memorable about that movie. There's nothing memorable about this movie. This movie will be forgotten. This podcast will be a, a, a will have low ratings for the Get Your Film Fix podcast. The this movie has nothing significant. And as a result it'll be forgotten. These two women will probably work again cuz they've made good contacts. I mean, anytime you've worked with Matthew Labatique and you've worked even if you're a reader worked with with uh, Megan Ellison like it's it's that's important, and, and you'll probably get work, and maybe they'll make another movie, but I don't think it'll ever be anything significant, whereas I think Andrew Patterson has, a, has the potential to make uh, another movie. I think that the, the upward mobility for Patterson um, is more likely, just well, yeah, based because- on what we saw. Because he'll go do a Marvel movie or something. Like- exactly, but exactly, yeah. and that sounds like a, the obvious example, but if you look at the Marvel people, this is the track they took. They, they proved that they were talented filmmakers. They made something that a few people saw, and there was a calling card of some kind. And I, I, this is a, a crazy comparison, and I, I, we might have even brought it up. But look at Christopher Nolan with Following, Memento, Insomnia, Batman, 
Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet. Like, it's the same process. And Andrew Patterson did something similar that Nolan did. These two women didn't. They didn't make a good movie. They didn't do anything interesting as filmmakers. They didn't write a good script. So what are we taking away? And so what if it has a 72 on Metacritic? Eventually, I guess I just mean it, like it, they the, directed... The cream rises to the top, and like you, eventually time tells the truth about movies. It's always the case. The reviews right off the bat mean nothing. It's 2020. The, it's 2020. There has been nothing that has come out. Nobody has seen anything. A movie comes out that's got a slightly interesting Cohen-esque quote-unquote plot, and all of a sudden people give it good reviews. It's not quite Fargo, but there's lobsters, so it's pretty good. You're looking for Peter Grenning. Yes, I am. He moved to Chicago over a year ago. He moved to Chicago. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. Uh, then are you the present owner of Rainbow Fashions? Yes, I am. Well, first of all, please, let me apologize once again for disturbing you at this hour, Mr. Um, Millich. Mr. Millich. Just to let you know that I really am Dr. Harford. This is my New York State Medical Board card. Okay, so you are Dr. Harford. And if I see Peter, I tell him uh, you were looking for him. Oh, no, no, wait, please, please. Uh, listen, the reason that I came here tonight was... Uh, basically, the reason is, is that I need a costume. And I'd be happy to pay you $100 over the rental price for the inconvenience. $100? Yes. I don't think so. Well, uh, okay. How about $200? $200 over the rental price? Yes. Okay. So we're calling this our top five who's Who? that? Who's Who? that? So... This all stems what? from what I had suggested was uh, I was suggesting that we do a, a draft top five, as we've done in the past, for our top five character actors. And that came from Margot Martindale star, uh, starring, co-starring in this movie, who I think is one of our great character actors. And then Chapin brought Bojack up... Bojack Horseman? <laughs> what? I don't watch that show. Oh, they call her character actor Mar- Margot Martindale. Like she's like a big part of bojack horseman as really <laughs> character actor marco market no i think it's from bojack i didn't know that yeah um chapin brought up that this might that we might run into too too many similarities with what was our our top five draft for our acting troupe since a lot of those weren't necessarily stars a lot of them were supporting <sighs> actors that we want to and will of course make into stars yeah um so we apologize evol- for my we list evolved it a little bit and we we decided to go really deep into the supporting actors that are out there actors that we like but we're gonna tr- uh, assign some points here nice each each pick the only reason we're assigning points is because lee needs to win one of these games for god's sake i know because i'm i'm so tired of losing so you get two points if your pick forces both of the other two hosts on this podcast to say who and you have to tell them what movie they're in. So if either one of us, if any of us can can name at least one movie that the actor is in, then you lose a point. If they can both, you lose two points. So hopefully that makes sense. I want to apologize for my list. Oh, I'm going to give it away if I say it, but it's all white men. 
I'm sorry. I, I you know I I finished this movie about forty five minutes ago and I was depressed <laughs> and upset because we could have been talking about fucking sexy beasts right now. Oh, 2000, 2001. There's a pandemic. Yeah, we were gonna. For Christ's sakes. <laughs> All right. All right. So my turn. Should I start? Chapin's gonna go first. I'm nervous because Chapin's gonna know. I Chapin's pretty good at knowing actors' names, so that's where I'm worried about losing points. Pretty but. good at knowing actors' names. You mean I'm a fucking genius and I've cleaned the floor with you and all these quizzes? He's like a Rain Man savant of it. It's yeah. the only thing he can do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Chapin, you're up first. Okay. Um, my number five is David. Threlfall. Threlfall. Who? No. Who? David Threlfall. Ha ho. <laughs> Scooby like Doo. Home improvement. <laughs> yeah. Throwfall. All right, I'm looking him up. I don't know how to spell it. Threyfall. Uh, let's see. Chapin, you got to enlighten us. He plays Killick in Master and Commander, the far side of the world. The, God, he I played- don't even recognize him. Uh, he's in some other things. He's quite good. You'd recognize his face. Come on. I'm looking at him. I don't even. I don't know him. Well, that's fine. That's two points for me. Let's keep going. Okay, keep track of your own points. Let me I'm make not sure he's still. Down. He's really an actor here. Yeah, he's in a, he's really an actor. <laughs> uh, Chapin right, just took I'm the up. entire cast of Master and Commander. Yeah, you're up. All right, I'm I'm gonna butcher this name, but okay. that's not gonna be a surprise to anybody. Uh, his name is Zeljeko Ivanek. Yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> who Ooh. is it? He, um, he is... You're looking it up. No, I'm not. How do you spell it? How do you spell it? It doesn't who matter. Who is it, Chapin? I don't know. Who is it? Chapin, who is um, it? He is in uh, in Bruges as the guy, the you're Canadian right. next door. <laughs> yeah, and he's in Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards. He's a McDonough guy. He's yeah. a... He's, He's the in one a lot he, of stuff. Uh, he hits him with the fucking bottle. Yeah. Came. Uh, all right. So, Jeremy, one point, because I didn't know yeah. who that was. I mean, all right. Uh, my, uh, uh, now, uh, these people are, you have to keep in mind, these people are added to your actor troop. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Except, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, my, my pick is uh, Jeff Pearson. Nothing? Pearson, Pearson, Jeff Pearson. Mm-mm. What's it? Pearson. Oh, Pearson. Yeah. No. No. Neither of you. No. Yes. Yes. He's the he's the lawyer in Changeling, baby. Ugh. Oh, I oh, thought about I thought about that. putting yeah. him too. Just fucking looked it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love he's him great. in that movie. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. So good. And he's also the lawyer in uh, Always Sunny. Yeah, he oh, plays yeah. that one scene and when Max Dad gets out. <laughs> yeah. All right, two points for me. Okay. My turn? Yep. Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, my number, whatever it is, is Jeffrey DeMunn. Do you know who that is? Fuck. Jeffrey Dahmer? DeMunn. DeMunn. Nope. nope. Okay. He is well, he's like a um Frank Darabont guy. He was in yeah, he's but, in the Green Mile. He's in The Mist. He was on he was in the first couple seasons of Walking Dead. You'll recognize him as soon as you see him. I'm looking him up right now. Jeffrey Demund. Hmm. Demund. No Demund. D. No no D. D- Dumbass? <laughs> Dumbass. 
<laughs> Alexandri Damas. Jeffrey Damun. Okay, let's see. He plays Harry Terwilgler. And he's in Shawshank, oh, too. Oh, I, re- I do recognize him. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, the lawyer in Shawshank. Yeah. And never a gun was found. That's a good pick. That is a good pick. Good right, I think this around. one's going to be maybe too easy, but we'll see. Uh, Mayan is Uzo Aduba. See the guy in Captain Phillips? Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> is that racist? I think we're just being racist now. Uzo Aduba. Uzo is like a is like a Greek brandy. Uzo Aduba. Anyone? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I looked her up. Oh, she's in Orange uh, and the New Black. Well, yes, but I'm going to take two points because you can't look her up. Yeah, well, yeah, no, you get the points, yeah. Uh, she's from Boston. Yeah, and she's also in um, Mrs. America, too, and she's great in that. So that's so. speaking of Margot Martindale, there's, like everybody's in Mrs. America. It's she's incre- amazing. She's amazing cast. in that. Yeah. What's Mrs. America? Uh, Kate Blanchett, really oh, great yeah, yeah, show. Yeah. We've yeah. only got two. We're only two episodes in, but that show is really good. Um, good pick. Does she she plays Crazy Eyes or whatever? Crazy in, Eyes, yeah. yeah. And then she's uh, she's also in Mrs. America, and she's really good. Uh, okay, well, I got two points. I'm happy about that. That'll be three points. Leave it a perf. All right, I'm up. I'm gonna go with Kara Seymour. Say it again. Kara Seymour. Kara Seymour. Just trying to nope. think. Yeah, just trying to think. Nope. Nope. Okay, nice. Nope. All right, you guys will look oh. her up. You'll recognize her. She's in Adaptation. Yeah. She's in um, She's in Chavi. American Psycho. She's in, in Education. Oh, I don't like her. Oh, uh, she's a great actress. Okay. I don't. Great pick. I, I would never. Yeah, great pick. I'm I've worried been, about I've been... Rewatching an education, which is so good. Carrie Mulligan, amazing. Alfred Molina, so fucking good in that movie. Um, also, Kara Seymour's in it. Okay. Um, mine, I know, John Carroll Lynch. Yeah, that's easy. You're out. Yeah, it, it was on name, my name list. A movie. Uh, name a he's movie. Not, he's Zodiac. not the Zodiac. Name another movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't I, have he's to. in the Drew Carey show. No, 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 no. You have to you have to name two movies, right? No, that's, that's not, not the rule. You have to name one. No, one. So, but I still get one are. point, right? No, no. You, you lose a point it for each of us that say... Uh, and every time you try to argue this point, you lose a point. Fine, yeah. fine, fine, he's fine, in, fine. He's in... Yeah, 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 yeah. Fargo. The, the McDonald's movie. He plays one of the McDonald brothers. Yep. He's in Billions. All right. God, you're you're the you might be the worst at this game. You're almost you're worse at this game than you are at picking movies to watch for the podcast. Since <laughs> you picked blow the man, Fuck. blow the man down. I didn't pick anything. All right, Jeremy, you're up. All right, um, let me just uh, make sure I get the the spelling right. All right, it is Noah Emmerich. Oh, yeah, yep. I know who that is. I do, too. He's who is in it? Miracle. He's in Minority Report, I think. No, maybe? he's not in Minority Report. He's in... Um, he's in, he's in Miracle. Uh, he's in Pride and Glory. He's in, he's in Truman Show. 
Truman Show, yeah, he's Jim Carrey's friend in Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. All That's right, so I terrible. get no points then. It's getting tougher. All right. Oh. My next pick, Keith David. Yep. Fuck. Armageddon. Damn it. I, don't, I didn't know Considered him. I, I was worried Chapin was going to eat. You don't know him, Jeremy? No. So he's... Uh, he's. Oh, and the fucking thing. He's in the thing? Yeah, he's the, he he and he's there at the end, the last stand. He's in uh he's in Requiem for a Dream. He's in something about Mary. He's uh he's uh, it'll be interesting having him in my troop. Not a lot of roles you I, can put him in. I love him, but he's uh he, I think he's too well known. He plays Childs. He's a great actor for somebody that looks as like interesting as him. Um, yeah. he's done good work. All right, I got a point out of that. No. Yeah, because Jeremy didn't. Yeah, know. I, I didn't know. I don't know who he is. Okay, uh, my number is Gene Jones. Do you guys know who that is? Oh no. He's the guy that goes. Well, I need this. I need to know what I stand to win in uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, <laughs> really? Oh, wow. What a and, and what a he, pull. <laughs> he was in the. Uh, he was in this. He was on the show. He's in the show. hateful eight. Oh yeah, he's um he's the guy that sits in the chair, in Hateful oh, Eight. Man. You know what a pull. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Two points. Two points for Chapin. Yes. Uh, I think I'm gonna win this. My number two. We're already on number twos, right? Yep. My number two is Merritt Weaver. Yep. Mm. Fuck. This is what I was worried about. Chapin knows all of them. I don't know. But that okay, one. I gotta tell you who Merritt Weaver is, right? Oh, she's in she's in New Girl. And she's in Marriage Story. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't know that. You, so I didn't I, I looked it up. Point. Sorry, I, I took it from Chapin. Were you actually gonna get it? Yeah. Uh I don't know. You really want her? Right. Is she good? I liked her in Marriage Story a lot. She's oh. the she's the one who like confesses to Mel Gibson and signs at the drugstore. Really? I don't remember her in that. that she, must, goes, she must have been really young in that. No, not really. I guess 1980 she was born. Birthday was yesterday. So, happy birthday, oh, happy Merritt. Happy birthday, Merritt Weaver. <laughs> oh, she's in that show um, on Netflix that's fairly popular. No, it's on HBO. Oh, is it? No, no, no. The one. Yeah, with, uh, the, Gleason, with the Gleason son. No, 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 no! I'm talking about the uh, one, the one that's uh, that the the other girl, the girl who Caitlin Deaver from Booksmart is in, where she's like raped, and then oh, she... uh, yeah, what is that? What is that? I forget what that movie's called. It's a it's a series on Un, something. Yeah, it's yeah. a Netflix. Yeah. Unbelievable or something unbelievable like that? or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. All right, I'm not gonna go with that one. Hmm. Right, I'm gonna go right. with um, Tommy Flanagan. <laughs> yeah, is that the guy from um, from? I don't. I don't know that I know that one. Yes, is yes. it the guy from Shawshank? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> It just takes the characters' names. <laughs> Tommy Flanagan is the Irish guy in Braveheart and in Gladiator and oh, in Sons shit. of Anarchy. Yeah. 
got the big scar on his face. Yep. That's a good one. All right, is it my turn? Yep. Close it all out. My number one is Raid Serbijka. Serbija. Hmm. That sounds familiar, but I don't know it. You don't know it, Jeremy? No. No, of course not. How about, ooh, that's a nice coat. Oh. (laughs) Eyes wide shut. Yeah. Mission Impossible 2. Batman Begins. Oh, what a career. He was the bad guy in uh, The Saint. That's pretty good. I never saw The Saint. Did I lose you guys? Yeah. No? I hear you. You're still here. Okay. All right, Jeremy. All right, I think my number one's too easy. I I didn't do so good in this. Uh, Miguel Ferrer. Oh, he's dead, first of all. But (laughs) you can't have him in your troop. Why why not? He's a character actor. So he's what? dead. He died. You could use all. You never specified they had to be alive. Well, how are you going to use them anymore? Tattoo on his penis. Yeah. <sighs> I hate this game. <laughs> I thought about him, but I was like, I can't do him because he died. I can't put him in any more movies. I'll just use that. Just him and saying tattoo on your penis, like you're going like, to oh, use. You're use the James in Dean, every movie. The yeah. James Dean thing. Except he's just going to say tattoo on your penis. Yeah, over and over again. So I oddly, you know what I know him from f- first before Traffic. What a great film called Blank Check. Oh, he was the bad guy in that, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep. And an, that's an yeah. amazing. That's an amazing movie with a really inappropriate like the, relationship. Yeah, where <laughs> she, she makes out with like a twelve-year-old, but like <laughs> yeah. when you're twelve a, years old, you're like, he has a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and interesting classic, classic 90s plot he calls himself macintosh because he saw the apple on the computer back then so that's what really that's really what made apple blow up and be as successful as it is today uh, yeah would would that be the most the the most uh valuable company Notice in the world if was not for blank quigley check? quigley was his character's name yep in blank check he was great because so. he wrote the blank check after he ran over the kid's bike I could. I remember that movie so well. I don't know why. I haven't seen it in twenty years. My next pick. All right, I'm gonna go with Cliff Curtis. Yeah. Oh, fucking no. I don't care. Yep. Ah, I know Chapin. him. Who? Who is it? He. Well, he's a Maori man from New Zealand, and he can play anything. He's in Sunshine. He is in um, Die Hard uh, Four. He is in. Um, Wow, uh, is good at this. All the Avatar movies. All the Avatar movies. He's in. Um, he was in that Doctor Sleep uh, sequel to um, The Shining that I just watched. Um, I mean, you so know way more I than me. On? I was going with Training Day. He's in and Training the Insider. Day. And the Insider. All right, Who, I got oh, a point right, out he of plays, that. He plays the Sheik in the Insider. Yeah. Oh, right, is your skin he's brown? Okay, you can you can pretty much play. Is he in '68? He's not so. All right, so uh, uh, this is a little racist. I thought he was the guy. Oh yeah, no, he is. He's in Three Kings too. Yeah. Yep. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I only know him from those three movies. Meanwhile, Chapin listed off like fifty movies. It's the only person in the world that can do that for Cliff Curtis. Okay, so I win. <laughs> so obviously I win. Actually, I think I did, but no. 
I did. So I, Chapin, you got two, four, six, eight points. I got two, four. Say, so actually, you and me tied, Chapin. I got eight points. Jeremy got four. I'm not good at this game. I only like I stars. Work. I only like being around movie stars. <laughs> You're a star fucker. <laughs> Jeremy's list is like Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Meryl Streep. All right. All the big ones, all the hits. That'll wrap things up for this amazing edition of the <laughs> oh Get Your God. Film Fix podcast. We discussed the film Blow the Man Down. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that film. If you email it us really at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Honestly, if, if you love this movie, you can come on the podcast and talk about it because I would love to hear a defense of this movie. That's true. Ty Burr, we're interested. Yeah, come on on. Come on on the podcast, Ty Burr. Ty Burr from Boston. He's never been out of Boston. Uh, if you know what our sponsor is from, you can email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. You get a point if you can name it. We'll add it to the tally. The, the list is growing. <laughs> Jeremy got real excited by that. Check us out on Instagram where we post all the time. Oh. And, I, I just want to know what a point is. Like, does the, Can that point, can I get that point? I just think like if you get to like 20 points or something... We'll yep. buy you a beer when bars open again. Okay, so right. and you get a cop- and you get a copy of the gray area and through the woods. <laughs> well, you, that's you worth get, it right there. You get you could have a hundred copies of the gray area that we'll mail to you. <laughs> you just have to pay for postage. We'll pay for the postage. <laughs> um, let us know who your favorite character or actors that no one knows who they are. Just. Email us something for Christ's sake. Let us know you're listening. If you email us, just feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Just say, I'm fucking listening. Enough with the begging. Then yeah. we'd be like, oh, that's a victory. If and you then, do that, if you do that, Lee will then come you can, blow you down. <laughs> if you do that, you can come on the podcast. Yeah, you, could, you, <laughs> you know what? You can take over the podcast. Yeah, you it's your host podcast. It. It's your podcast. If you email us, we'll give you the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, All right. Thank you for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.